Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. That's a short verse. I would like, if you have a Bible, you should have one close by if you didn't bring your own. You may want to follow. I'm going to have a rather long reading in the book of Judges, chapter 3. Judges, the seventh book in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Chapter 3. Now, we're going to talk about key, the keys, not well, basically one key, but, but uh, the, what I'm drawing from this text is the fact that uh, Jesus said you've taken away the key of knowledge. The Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses a great number of images. The one you see on the screen in front of you is not a Bible image. But it's an image that comes to your mind, isn't it? When we think of keys, those are actually, they, they look like skeleton keys. What we used to call skeleton keys, they work with an old kind of lock. You could actually, in that old kind of lock on the door, you could peek through it. You could peek through the keyhole, we call it. See, it's something in the other room. We, our modern doors are not at all like the doors of our forefathers in the last not the last century, but the one before, sometimes the last century. Our doors, when we when we lock our doors today, we can generally just engage the lock on the inside of the door, pull the door shut, and the little latch, little, little tunnel will, will uh, get into the mortise part of the door, and it will pass it. Before the, the mechanism that we call a lock and key, and it came into being, in about the middle of the 19th century. Hasn't been around that long. And keys then came into being about that same time. So when we talk about keys, we're not talking about something that looks like that. But that's what we think about when we think about keys. Uh, I've seen adults carry around a, a key chain or a key ring with lots of keys on it. The keys were designed to open something. Sometimes it was to open a door. Again, I want to remind you of the fact that it wasn't until the 20th century, basically, that doors were actually capable of being locked. When you left, you could lock the door, secure it, so nobody could get in. Basically, locks were used before that time, so nobody could get out. Anyway, what we're going to look at in the Bible are some illustrations because we want to use this term. Jesus used this word keys in a number of different places, and it's found in the Old Testament as well. So in order for us to understand the imagery, we, we need to understand something about what the key looked like and how it was used at that time. And at that time, keys were not used for ordinary private doors. Very few homes at the time that this was written actually had a door. And any doors that were then erected were sometimes just shoved back and forth and put in, a, in the entranceway to, to block passage back and forth. Some of them didn't, didn't have hinges. Metal hinges came into being 
about the time Jesus was born, brass and metal hinges for smaller doors. Some of the brass and metal hinges came about, about 500 years before Jesus on big gates. Metal hinges were gates. Usually they were, they were used, they used a system of, of rocks and, and, and timbers to make sort of a makeshift hinge. It was a socket that, some, that a big part of the gate went down into wood. And as far as keys were concerned, they were not like this. They were not small. Nobody could carry one around in his pocket. You did not carry a key that Jesus is talking about, or that the Holy Spirit is talking about, in your pocket. But it didn't work that way. Keys look like this. Can you see that? See that big handle? That was about three, three or four feet long. And it was on the back of a major gate. So the mechanism that it's sitting on, this big handle, it's got little pegs in it. And it has grooves and pegs that will that can drop down into grooves. Anyway, that was a lock mechanism that was placed on the back of a gate in order to secure it. In order to open it, and it was always mounted on the inside, not on the outside. And there's no way to reach in from the outside to trigger it. So when the gate was shut, it wasn't when everybody walked out, all, all the people in the, in the city behind the, the walls walked out, closed the gate, and locked it. They didn't do that. Because if you did that, you couldn't get back in. So the gates were locked from the interior. And they usually had a gatekeeper, someone who, who kept, kept the key to the gate. He was charged with the responsibility of opening and shutting and locking and securing the gate. Well, they used bars, of course, across the back of big gates that open wide like this. They, they, they usually open this, so they put the bars down and they, they had catches on each side, so the bars slipped down. But then they came up with about 3,000 years before Jesus in Egypt. They came, in, came up with this type of mechanism. A peg and a, and a, and a uh, mortise so that they, they could insert the handle and trigger the mechanism so that when the handle came out, the lock would not open until you put the handle back in and then that was the key and triggered it. And then you could remove the bar and then you could open the gate. Again, the idea was to keep people out, but the the way you locked the gate was from the inside, okay? And, and they had a gatekeeper, a keykeeper, keeper of the keys in charge, because if you didn't have someone in charge of that, there's no telling who would open the gate and let the enemy in. So it was, it was a matter of responsibility to make sure who had the key. Everybody didn't have the key, just, and they didn't carry it in their pocket, they carried it over on their shoulder, carried it around on their shoulder. That was, that was the, the uh, ancient key. About 2,000 years before Christ, we, we discovered in the city of Nineveh a system that looked just like this. This is the oldest wood, wooden key in the world discovered in the city of Nineveh. Remember, that's the city that Jonah went to. Okay. Now, what I want to do is take you back to this Old Testament passage. <coughs> Judges chapter 3, and read about one of the judges. His name was 
Now, the key would not have been on the outside. The lock would not have been on the outside of the gate. It would have been on the inside of the gate. So they had to somehow, maybe you'd have to get away. It was a big area, apparently, and the parlor wasn't just a little summer house for you, like a, like a gazebo that we see. It was a big area. And the gates apparently closed it off so that he had some privacy, and he probably wasn't right up against it somehow. It was a rather large place. Anyway, they found the key, and when they found the key, they were able to open the gate. Now, if it was just a matter of pulling the bar up to open the gate, they wouldn't need a key. So this tech, from what I understand, only the very rich, very wealthy individuals in that time had keys for their gates. And most of the time, even after that, along about five or six hundred years before Jesus, only the very wealthy people had brass hinges for their gates. They had some other type of hinge system. But he was wealthy. He was a king. And he had a lock. And he had a key for his lock. And he had it, had it shut. Now, Again, there's another text found in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 3. If you'll find Nehemiah before the book of Psalms, after the book of Judges, after Nehemiah's there. So, anyway, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 3 is a short reading. But when the children of Israel were coming back from Babylonian captivity, they were sent back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild it. And when they rebuilt it under Nehemiah and Ezra, under their guidance, they were rebuilding the exterior walls that surrounded the city of Jerusalem in order to keep their enemies out and keep their friends in. And each, each of the tribe had a responsibility for building a gate on the outside wall. And this text says, the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. So they put locks on their gates. Now, again, remember that the lock on a gate was to keep someone on the inside from inadvertently opening the gates and allowing the enemy passage into their compound. Okay. So it had to be an inside man who could use a key that he carried around <coughs> his shoulder to put on one of these locks to open it. The Bible talks about, in the book of Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20 through 22, it talks about someone having the key of David. Now I want you to listen to the text because it gives us some insight as to what the key looked like. In Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20, it says, It shall come to pass on that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your girdle, and I will commit your government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Now he's talking about a priest, a Levitical priest, that is going to assign the responsibility of the government. And he says, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So it tells you that the key was a big thing. A big unit. 
by this time, this was this was about 400 years before Christ. By this time, they had metal keys. So the wooden key that we saw was probably not in vogue at that time. It's probably a great big metal key that had some curvature to it or some angles to it that they could use to secure the lock they put on their gates. So this text says that the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. So this guy, Elijah, here is who he's talking about. This guy could lock the gates, not just shut them, but lock them and keep them shut with the lock. Key on his shoulder. Responsibility for opening and shutting that lock so that the enemies couldn't get in. Now, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens, no man shuts, and shuts, no man opens. Now, we know who he's talking about, of course. He's talking about, he already identified him in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. This is Jesus Christ. He has the key of David. Now, he's going to open something or shut something. He's going to open something and no man can shut. He has a key. And the lock is where? If we read the Old Testament, of course, and we always do, when we read the Old Testament, we have to understand that David had a peculiar position with God. David was, was um, in touch with God. The book of Psalms, when you read the book of Psalms, feel the outpouring of the heart of David toward God. His heart was open to God. And so that's what you're reading when you're reading the book of Psalms. The feelings that David had toward God. Now, in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, it says, He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony. This is Paul preaching in the city of Antioch of Pisidia. He's preaching a sermon. He's talking about David. And he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. This man, David, had a key. Now, we see David holding up the head of Goliath. He said, Goliath. That, that's the picture I thought I'd just bring up. Just to say that it looks like David. I didn't want to bring up Michelangelo's uh, carving of David or, or structure of David. And I want to show you something that, that gave you an idea that we're talking about David the son of Jesse. And we're talking about David's ancestor, not his ancestor, but his progeny, which is Jesus. He says, he, he raised up David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Jesus opens some gates, turns some locks, uses a key to open some gates. You know what those gates are? I suggest to you that the key that David was using was opening the heart of God to man. And Jesus opened the heart of man to God. Both gates were locked from the inside. David was a man after God's own heart, so he's the one. And of course, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one that can open that gate. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus has the key to a lock on your heart. He's the 
know that you open your heart to God. And he's already opened God's heart to you. Acts chapter 3 and verse 29. Then and brethren, let me freely speak of you of the patriarch of David. He is both dead and buried, his sepulchre is with us unto this day. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit already come upon the twelve apostles, the hundred and twenty that were with him in the upper room. The Holy Spirit's already come upon them. And Peter's preaching that opening sermon. He's setting forth the truth, the gospel truth that God has sent through his son Jesus Christ. He's preaching. And he's saying, therefore, being a prophet, talking about David. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath that to him of the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. I'm talking about David having the promise of God that God said, I'll raise up a son to you to sit on your throne. He's talking about Jesus. He's seen this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up where we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said to himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou here on my right hand, until I make your foes your footstool. Therefore he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, what happened? They were pricked in their hearts. In their hearts. Jesus opened the gates of their hearts. Jesus has already opened God's heart to us. Now then, He is opening our heart to Him. He has the keys of David. Jesus did. The text that we read to start with said, that some had taken away the key of knowledge. That, that they weren't entering in themselves. They weren't allowing anybody else, anybody else to come in. In order to understand the scriptures, sometimes we say, we need a key. We need some, some kind of a, a way we can interpret the scriptures. Some way we can see them for what they are. Sometimes you see it in some of the motion pictures, TV stories, and so forth, of individuals who are looking for uh, information in ancient scrolls they put on a set of glasses that have a certain magnification to them and all of a sudden they can see writing that you couldn't see just looking at it with the naked eye and so that's sort of a key to what's going on they, they can see it or somebody else comes along and says you know if, if we just had something that we could overlay the scriptures we, we could understand the scriptures with this overlay so that's what the lady called Mary Baker Eddy did one time in what is called the uh, Christian Science Religion. She wrote a book that's called The Key to the Scriptures. Science and Health of the Key to the Scriptures. She said, I've got the key to the Scriptures. If you'll read my book, and that's how they tell it, they say, you, you take the book of uh, Science and Health, the Key to the Scriptures, you take the Bible, and the book of Science and Health, the Key to the Scriptures, interprets the Bible. Okay. What we're saying now is that that's not what the text is talking about. The text is talking about somebody else with the key. Somebody else is open to understanding. And the one who's open to understanding the Bible is Jesus Christ. When you read the Old Testament and you're confused, 
you're confused probably because you're not reading it with the key. And the key and the overlay is Jesus Christ. When you understand that the Old Testament is talking about the coming of Jesus, talking about him, then all of a sudden the scripture becomes plain. Jesus said in John 5, 39, he said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. So when we fail to understand the Old Testament, it's because we're not seeing it with the key. The key that has not opened our understanding because we're not looking at Jesus. He overlays everything in the Bible. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27, after Jesus rose from death, he took his apostles aside, some of them, and he said, oh, oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the apostles have, have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When we read the Old Testament, we need to turn the light on. I have a hard time reading anything in the dark. I'm sure you do too. I have a hard time reading anything in dim light. You probably do too, probably not as much as I do. But when you're younger, you can read better in dim light. But as you get older and you're looking, you, you can't see it. Jesus is the light. He turns the light on on the scriptures. When we take Jesus out of the scriptures, the light goes off. We cannot understand it. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 16 says this. Paul is writing and he said, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. That's what I like. You're going to talk to me, talk to me in such a way that I can understand you. You're going to write me a letter, write me something that I can understand. And Paul said, that's all we're doing. We're using great plainness of speech. Not like Moses, which put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. If you read the Old Testament without Jesus, it's like reading with a veil of your face that you can't even see through to see the scriptures themselves. This text says, no, when you read the scriptures with Jesus, you can read them plainly. He says, even unto this day, when Moses had read, the veil is on their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Consider Saul of Tarsus. Now, we're saying this, that people understood and saw, thought they understood the Old Testament scriptures. That's the only scripture they had when Jesus came. So that, that was the scriptures that they had. Now, the Apostle Paul was called Tarsus, was called Saul of Tarsus. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was his Hebrew name. He was, he, was a, uh, he was a very educated man. He could speak at least three languages that we know of. He could speak Assyriac, he could speak Greek, and he could speak Hebrew. He might have been able to speak other languages. He was well educated, he was well informed, he knew what the scriptures were saying, he could read them, he could quote them, and he, he did quote them quite a bit. But he did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. And so he was persecuting people who thought they did, who, who felt like they did know Jesus Christ. And he had gone up to, uh, to uh, Antioch, not to Antioch, he'd gone to Damascus with letters from a priest in Jerusalem 
so that he could persecute people who believed that Jesus was Christ. They believed that. So he was going to go bring them back, jail them, incarcerate them, bring them back to prison for them to be punished. And along the way, Jesus confronted him. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? And it was a bright light. It was a bright light. He fell to the ground. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the bricks. Now, the trick was a gold with a sharp horn on it. When a, when a, when a um, animal who was pulling a load, a cart, for instance, stalled out, they'd take this little sharp gold and touch the back of the tendons on their legs and make a move. And Jesus told Saul, he said, it's hard for you to keep moving, isn't it? Hard for you to kick against the bricks because sometimes a stubborn animal will kick back instead of going forward and kick back. And that's what Saul was kicking back. What I want to show you is that Paul was blinded. Sometimes, in order for us to understand something, we have to get, we have to completely blot out everything else and concentrate, don't we? Saul was blinded. He went blind for three days. During that time, he had to think about what he'd been doing. And you know who he was thinking about? He was thinking about Jesus. Had to be. Thinking about what he had been doing and what Jesus had been teaching and what he knew about it. When he finally came around and a fellow came to him, Ananias came to him and said, the Lord had sent him. He went to a street called Straight and Ananias came to him. And uh, he, he said, uh, so he told him, he said, why do you tarry, Saul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And Saul did immediately. What did he do? He put everything together. He got the key. The key opened his understanding of the scriptures. What was the key? Jesus Christ is the key. He's the key. So when he unlocked Paul's or Saul's understanding, of the scriptures and all of a sudden Saul said I've got to go tell the world I've got to go throw a little light on this subject which he did started out all together that's the, that's the third key the fourth key that I want to mention these are those four that I know of just, the fourth key has to do with uh, what Jesus told Peter but first of all Revelation 1 verse 18 text tells us, this is Jesus speaking, Revelation 1. He said, I am he that lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and of death. Now get this. He said, I was dead but I live and I am alive forevermore. How did that happen? He said that he has the keys of death and hell. Of hell. Now, you don't need a key to get into hell, which is the world gets in death. You don't need a key to die. Did you know that? No key. You just get in. There's nothing blocking you from getting in. 
But there's something keeping you from getting out. Mm. And it's the lock on the gates. Jesus said, I've got the key. What did he do? He unlocked the gates and came out. He was dead. He was buried. Three and a half days later, he was in the world of the unseen dead, Tartarus. He, he said, my father did not allow me to see corruption, but he came, up, he came back, came out of death, opened those gates, came out. He said, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, Revelation 20, verse 1 through 4. And a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loose for those seasons. Jesus took the devil and cast him in, bound him up. He, he didn't have a key, couldn't get out. But then he said, I saw the thrones, they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had he received his mark upon their foreheads in their head, in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But somebody got out, but not the devil. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne. Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. How did they get there? Somebody had the key to let them out. Wasn't me. Wasn't you. Wasn't anybody at that time. It was Jesus. He opened the door and let them out. And he said, another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to the world. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So, Jesus has the keys of death and hell. So when we die, we know we're not going to stay in the grave because Jesus has unlocked it for us. The other one I want to talk about was this one that Paul, that Jesus was talking to Peter about. You know, when Jesus met Peter, James, and John, took them up on a high mountain in Matthew chapter 17, he was transfigured before them. They, they saw Moses and Elijah. Then, then uh, Peter fell down and said, let us build here three, three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Great voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And then Jesus turned to Peter and he said, uh, He said, uh, I grant unto you the keys of the kingdom that whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Before that, he said, He said, Upon this rock I will build my church. When Peter confessed that he was the Christ. He said, upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because Jesus had the key. He had the key. He got out. He was, he was inside the keeper's key. He took the key, opened the door, came out himself. Of course, he could open the door for us as well. But here he told, told the, the uh, disciples, told Peter, the apostles in Matthew chapter 16. He said, 
He said, I'll give you the key to the kingdom of heaven. You can open these doors to the kingdom of heaven. Now, the way he opened those doors, of course, Peter had the key. The way he opened the door, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the one who opened the door to the kingdom. He said, I'll give you the keys, Peter. You can open the door. So Peter and the apostles, when they went to the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and were qualified and outfitted to preach the gospel, when the Holy Spirit came down upon them and they preached the gospel, they opened the doors of the kingdom because they were given the keys by Jesus Christ. And the key was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what opens the doors. Jesus opened the doors. And people who believed and confessed Jesus Christ and were baptized are allowed into the kingdom. Now this is sort of a depiction of the church because the church is the kingdom. We are the kingdom. And the way we got in was through the opening of the door to the preaching of the gospel. If you don't preach the gospel, the door won't come open. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation of everyone who believes. Jew first, also in Greek. So, we have keys. We, we have keys that were given to an inside man, the man Jesus Christ. He had the key of the knowledge of the Old Testament. So when we Look at the Old Testament. We use the key, which is Jesus Christ. We allow him to tell us what the Old Testament means. It was a mystery to many. But once Jesus Christ came on the scene, the light came on, we can understand. What I'm saying is this. If your heart has been locked to God, Jesus can open it. He can open your heart because he has a key. If you're afraid that when you die, it's all over, understand this, that it's not. Because when you go down into the grave, somebody has the key to unlock it to let you back out. Back out of the world and unseen dead. And when you when you worry about whether or not you can understand what the Bible says, and you understand that someone has a key can tell you what to understand, if you look at everything in the light of Jesus Christ, he's the one with the key. He, He'll turn your key of knowledge. He'll turn that lock and open it for you so that the gates of your understanding open wide open. You can see what the Bible is talking about. And when you feel all alone and you need help, and you need understanding, you need compassion, there's someone who has a key to open a door that you can come into a group of people that can give you comfort and consolation called the church. The keys of the kingdom are given to people. It's preaching the gospel. Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the door is open, and you come in to the kingdom. Jesus has the key. He's the inside guy. He's the one that's open. He opens the heart of God. He opens the heart of your heart. He opens the New Testament scriptures. He opens death and hell. He's the one that opens, and no man can shut. He can shut, however, and no man can open. Let's keep it open. Keep the key, I'd say keep it in your pocket. <laughs> keep the key, Jesus, in your heart. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.